You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's that sus Thursday on Talk of Champions. Still adding some English to that sus. Hey, buddy, it's Nick Sus. It's Nick Sus. Yeah. He covers Ole Miss for the Jack Sinclairian Ledger. Do I have to call it the Jack Sinclairian Ledger anymore? I think it might be the Mississippi. I don't know. Just call it the Clarion Ledger. What are you working on right now as you preview Ole Miss Auburn? What's the interesting things from Nick Sus's perspective? I just think about this game as. It's kind of a test case to see if this team is better than it was when it played Tulsa. I think this is a more extreme version of the second half of that game where you're going to have a quarterback who likes to run around. You're going to have an offense that's very much built around uh, Robbie Ashford's ability to do multiple things. And you're going to have a defense that's pretty darn good uh, at Auburn that's probably going to try to take away the run the way that Vanderbilt did because Vanderbilt had some success. I mean, obviously teams aren't going to want to, you know, give up 52 points a game to Ole Miss. That's not the lesson there. But if the lesson from Vanderbilt is this offensive line struggles with run stopping stunts, it struggles when you pack the box, darts probably going to make a mistake or two if you force them to throw it 30 times a game, that lesson is going to continue to be there. And I mean, this is what we talked about last week when we talked about that Vanderbilt game needs to be, put on tape what you can do through the air. And for better or worse, they did. They threw for 448 yards. Teams know what the passing game will look like now. And now they have to prove that they can do it a second week in a row. And they have to prove that an Auburn team that, I mean, if you look at the last two years, Ole Miss has not run the ball well at all against Auburn, uh, even when they've had really good rushing attacks. So they're going to have to find a way to win through the air if Auburn has similar players and similar game plan. So it's fair to say, then, that this is going to be the greatest challenge Jackson Dart has himself faced as the starter at Ole Miss to date, easily. Because of what Auburn is going to try to do to stop Ole Miss offensively, basically follow the Vanderbilt script, do the best you can to shut down Quinshawn Judkins and Zach Evans and force Jackson Dart not only to complete passes, but to push the ball down the field and beat them over the top. He was able to do that against Vanderbilt, but even though Auburn isn't very good they haven't been good all year and brian harson it feels like it's just right there on the edge of okay when are they finally going to pull the ripcord and fire him yeah but the flip side of it is the two best rushing teams that they've played this year penn state and georgia penn state ran 39 times for 245 yards and five touchdowns mm. georgia ran 39 times for 292 yards and six touchdowns so they can try and execute the same game plan Vanderbilt did. This run defense might just not be as good as it has been the last two years. But let's remember last year, Ole Miss, really good run offense, 39 carries, 157 yards against Auburn. 2020, Ole Miss had best run offense in the SEC. They ran it 51 times for 283 and three, but still lost. I mean, we'll see what the game plan ends up being. Auburn has some dudes in the front seven. I went out there at practice and I was talking with your coworker, Jake Thompson, and we were joking on Tuesday. Ole Miss has like five guys wearing the scout team number zero jersey. Some of them are on offense uh, uh, prepping for Coy Moore, uh, but it seems like most of them are just defensive guys prepping for Owen Papo, their, their front seven linebacker. I mean, 
they are really scheming for Auburn is going to play you hard up front. And it's also kind of taking away or not giving enough credit to how good Ole Miss has been as a running team to just presume that Auburn will be able to take that away. For sure. And I, I give a lot of credit to this running game. I think that I can't believe it's reached a point in the season where we can say this, but I don't think we've given enough credit to Zach Evans. We've obviously given enough credit to Quinshawn Judkins as a true freshman for doing what he's doing, but having the two of them be as successful as they have, and really with the exception of the one or two games where Evans was clearly not fully healthy, I think Evans has shown why he's the feature back in this offense. And now that they're starting to work the backs more into the passing game and kind of get them more involved, I think you're starting to see why. I think Mel Kuyper has him like is the second best running back prospect in this entire recruiting class behind uh, B. John Robinson. I mean, there, there's a Draft lot class. of talent there. Draft class, sorry, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of talent there. And I don't think that Auburn's just going to shut them down because they scheme to shut them down. But if Auburn does start keep packing the box, if Auburn continues the same strategy Vanderbilt did of, oh, stack the front, uh, stunt up front, find ways to take away rushing lanes and dare them to use the pass option in their RPO. I mean, we're going to have to see Ole Miss throw the ball successfully. And whether it's good news or bad news, Auburn's pass defense is pretty average. I mean, they gave up. They haven't given up more than 270 yards in a game this year. They haven't given up. They haven't given up a passing touchdown since week one. You'll give them credit for that. Uh, only allowing 6.5 yards per pass attempt. This is a good pass defense. So they might try and, you know, lean into that. But I don't know. I, I think that if Ole Miss can run the ball as successfully as Auburn and Georgia did, it's, it's not going to matter. When you just watch Ole Miss in a casual way, you go, oh, my gosh, Quinshawn Judkins is unbelievable. Look at these plays. But the reason why Zach Evans – I mean, he's, he's a better running back right now than Quinshawn Judkins – and that's not in any way taken away from how good Quinshawn is because he's an SEC freshman of the year candidate and a current freshman All-American, and he's going to finish that way if he continues the production currently. I think his 535 rushing yards are most of any running back, freshman running back in the country. So what has separated Zach Evans? Why does Zach Evans continue to get the run that he does? Well, first of all, he's a more complete back, and if a team like Auburn – throws itself into shutting down the running game and is shutting down rushing lanes. Well, then long handoffs become very important. And what is a long handoff? A short pass to the side of the running back. That's exactly how they settled Jackson Dart in at Vanderbilt, precluded him passing for 449 yards, far and away his best performance as an Ole Miss Rebel, taking into account the two disaster plays. So that's where Zach Evans has separated. That's why he is Zach Evans. That's why he is one of the best running backs in the country. From a pure rushing standpoint, there isn't much separation between him or drop-off between him and Quinshawn Judkins. But from an all-around perspective, as a pass blocker, as a pass receiver, and the different things you can do with him, that's why he is who he is and why Quinshawn Judkins isn't getting the ball 30 times a game. Yeah, I will say I, I've actually been impressed by the way Judkins has improved as a pass protector. Yes, yes. Uh, he's, he's gotten a lot better at that from week one to week seven. But you're right. I, I think that the completeness of Zach Evans's game is kind of getting lost in this season when you talk about Judkins and you talk about Mingo and, and some of the stars that have emerged at as more 
flashy players. And I mean, this is the same thing that happened last year where Snoop was the one running for all the touchdowns and kind of got lost in the shuffle of, well, Jerrion's still a more complete player. It's just Snoop's the guy they put at the goal line and score. And that happens sometimes. I still think I'd probably rather have Snoop than Jerrion just based off of the way the production worked out. But Jerrion was a better first and second down runner. Um, nevertheless, I think Evans and Judkins is an improvement over what they had last year. And that's why things have been so smooth. What is your early score prediction? Like, what did you put for the ledger? I haven't written it yet because I usually write that after we're done with these, but kind of my instinct is I almost always think Ole Miss is going to score about 10 points fewer than the odds project just because Ole Miss's offense is really good, but the Vegas odds really inflate what Ole Miss is supposed to do. I, I think that, I mean, last week was the first time they put up more than 31 points against a SEC team since the Arkansas game last year. I mean, they, the offense tends to underperform a little bit in SEC play. Um, but I still think that this Auburn offense is a mess. Like I just, they run the ball well, and that's going to be a bit of a challenge for this team that at times has allowed running games to sustain long drives. But let me, let me double check. I'm pretty sure they go backwards quite a bit too. And that's what tends to be the thing that Ole Miss thrives on. Yeah, they give up six tackles for loss per game. They give up two and a half sacks a game. I mean, this Ole Miss defense is entirely built around get a team at first, at second and 13, at third and eight, just keep them behind the sticks and keep the defense or keep the offense in front of you. And Auburn is kind of built for Ole Miss to be able to do that. So can they cover? Yes, but I don't think it's going to be a cover because they blow them out offensively. I think it could be a cover just because Auburn's offense isn't going to be able to uh, keep up. When's the last time you thought about retirement? What about saving for your kid's college? In these crazy economic times, working with a professional is of the utmost importance. And that's where my friend Thomas Chandler comes in. Thomas is a financial planner with Capital Financial Group, and he wants to help you make the right decisions for your financial future. So give him a call today at 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. And tell him that Ben sent you for a no-cost consultation and get started toward financial independence today with Thomas Chandler of Capital Financial Group. Your Ole Miss baseball rebels are national champions. Yes, that really happened. Your eyes did not deceive you. And what better way to celebrate since we all spent way too much money getting to and back home from Omaha than with a new car. Well, the only place to buy a car in Oxford, Mississippi is Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. From new and used sales to parts and service, Allen Samuels of Oxford aims to provide a truly stellar automotive experience. And what separates Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford from every other dealership is they aim to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. They'll get you in the car you want at a price point that you can afford. Give them a call today, 662-234-8000. Ask for Brian or Mason to tell them, talk of champions since you because now talk of champions actually makes sense almost baseball won a national championship and they'll get you in your dream car with your almost omaha magnet planted right there on the driver's side door 
They're located at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Contact them today, 662-234-8000. That's Alan Samuels, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram of Oxford, a proud sponsor of the National Champion Talk of Champions podcast. BNA Bank is celebrating 125 years of local banking. For generations, BNA Bank has been a stable fixture in Northeast Mississippi, supporting and investing in our local small businesses, local schools, local community events, local charities, and so much more. At BNA Bank, we believe in our local communities, businesses, and organizations because we are a local business, too. Thank you for choosing to bank local with BNA Bank. The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. If you take historically what has happened in this series, easily you can come to the conclusion that something weird that you can't account for is going to happen. Ben, remember during and after the College World Series when you very publicly declared that the WAOM attitude was dead? No, the oldest character I play is obnoxious, redheaded, pale, fat, ginger neighbor who just talks about Ole Miss constantly, yells about Ole Miss constantly. That's who I am. My point is you're letting the scars of the past uh, create bias about the present. The reality is whatever happened in 2013, or just pick an arbitrary year that Ole Miss lost to Auburn, whatever happened last year even, doesn't necessarily matter with the trajectories these teams are on. I'm stealing this stat from Twitter. I can't remember who tweeted it. So kudos to whoever did this. But I think the fact is that Auburn has never lost a game in Oxford and that had the same coach the next year. So that is a thing to watch out for. Every time they've lost in Oxford, their coach has either ended up retiring or being fired that season. That's the place Auburn is right now. When Auburn is vulnerable, Ole Miss tends to beat them. When the two programs are even, Auburn has always had the advantage, but Ole Miss has never, or not never, but not in the last 50 years, built consistent back-to-back teams for more than two seasons at a time. There, there was obviously 0809, there was obviously 1415, there were a couple of really good seasons, 0203, et cetera, et cetera. But the next step for Ole Miss, as we've talked about on this show before, is being able to be a good team for more than two years at a time, being able to be an actual contender for more than two years at a time to jump up into the class that Auburn's been in for the last 30 years or so. So that's what Ole Miss is trying to do right now. That's what Ole Miss is trying to build. And 
beating Auburn, proving that you can get past that's a huge next step. But there's a reason that Ole Miss is a two-touchdown favorite in this game. That I'm sure if I pull up the ESPN FPI production uh, predictions, that Ole Miss would have like an 80% win rate. I, I mean, I'll, I'll pull this up, but I, I imagine that Ole Miss is that heavily favored by the computers because these two teams are just on different direction trajectories. I'm just glad that you brought the receipts for my poor Twitter behavior. I just thought you would remember one of the most elated periods of your life. You were really happy. Chase Parham has already pointed out that um, he, he's taken issue with uh, how obnoxious I can be on Twitter. I'm sorry. I apologize for my Twitter behavior, but you know what? I do not apologize for the deep cut Ole Miss scars I have, especially with football, okay? Chuck ran a story this week on the Ole Miss Spirit on three, and you can subscribe right now and get a full year sub for just $10 for a year. But he wrote a story this week about 2003 Ole Miss Auburn. Do you know what happened in that game, Nicholas? I do. I was at that game as a fan in the stands with my father and my brothers. Eli Manning, unbelievable. But I watched in horror as Ben Obamanu sat wide open in the end zone and thought, oh, my God, here it is again, and he dropped it. And you can say, well, Ben, that's an example of we are Ole Miss going the other way in a positive direction. I argue – that I wasn't even able to truly enjoy that because Ole Miss lost 2003, the three games it couldn't lose, and that was one to Memphis, two to Texas Tech, and the one SEC game to LSU. They went 7-1 and one and didn't make it to Atlanta. They still haven't gone, so excuse me if I'm kind of worried about Auburn, who historically beats the crap out of Ole Miss. To follow up on the point I was making, uh, okay. ESPN, FBI, FPI, not FBI, the Bureau is not involved, the Football Power Index gives Ole Miss an 85.1% chance of winning this game. All I hear is a 15% chance to lose. 14.9, don't round. But that's how we do in math. Well, you get to play your character. I get to play my character. Let me be pedantic. That's fair. It's a fair point. All right, fine. Ole Miss is going to beat the dog piss out of Auburn on Saturday. Is that what you want me to do? I, I didn't think you'd play a, a, a New Albany minstrel show, but I kind of liked it. Thanks, man. Lane Kiffin as head coach. And I can't say this and then be this way. So you're right. He has completely punted away all of the former thinking, a lot of the former thinking of Ole Miss football in general and in the consideration of Ole Miss football. So if you're just thinking of it without an historical perspective as what team Ole Miss or Auburn this week and what we know of these teams right now, which one of these teams is going to win and by what score, then yes, Ole Miss should beat the crap out of Auburn. But what things could give me or anybody else who's still – jaded by the scars of our Ole Miss history here. What could scare us about this team? Anything? Of course. Yeah, that's that's the thing, is that you're always going to be concerned about a run-first team if you are playing a 3-2-6 defense. Right. That's always going to be the case. And Ole Miss is a little bit more multiple this year than they were last year. It's not a true 3-2-6 where you're going to give up six yards on first down every play. But a physical downhill rushing team is going to sustain a drive or two. If you can't get Auburn behind the sticks, if it's going to be second and seven, if, if they're going downhill, then they're going to be some of those drives like Vanderbilt had that go for seven, eight minutes that just waltz down the field. Because that's going to happen if a team gets on a roll, if a team gets in rhythm. There is also the concern about what I talked about with Auburn's pass defense. I mean, how many teams in the country have allowed fewer passing touchdowns? The answer is no one. No oh. team has allowed fewer pass touchdowns 
than Auburn this year. It's them tied with Indiana, or sorry, with Illinois, just two. But the difference is Illinois has two passing touchdowns allowed, nine interceptions. Auburn has two passing touchdowns allowed, one interception. Uh, they're, they're, they're not going to take the ball away from you. They just don't really allow teams to throw the ball very effectively. Ole Miss is actually allowing fewer yards per pass attempt, 6.2, compared to Auburn, 6.5, which is a difference. Ole Miss is 19th in the country. Auburn's 35th in the country. They're both good, not elite pass defenses at the, at the margins. But um, when it comes to preventing touchdowns, Auburn's actually been really good at that. Now, as I mentioned, they gave up 11 rushing touchdowns in games against Penn State and Georgia alone. So Ole Miss's strength might feed into that weakness there. But if Auburn has a way, if Vanderbilt uncracked a code that is less of a, it caught Ole Miss by surprise and more of a, it's a true structural crack in the scheme. And if that can be replicated, sure. Uh, Auburn might be able to give Ole Miss's offense some fits, but we don't know. We don't know if that was a crack in the foundation or if that was just simple. Vanderbilt had a good game plan and Ole Miss said, okay, we'll throw for 449 instead. I have just had an Ole Miss epiphany. Instead of thinking about how Auburn could scare Ole Miss and the strengths of Auburn, I am not talking enough about how good Ole Miss is and why that will, it will render those concerns completely irrelevant. To be cocky instead of to think, oh, God, how could it go wrong? This is why it will go right. What you're describing is why the looming possibility, and it's a faint possibility, but the looming possibility of an Ole Miss-Tennessee SEC championship game is just so funny to me because it's two fan bases that have internalized the fact that they should always expect the worst, and that's just remarkable if both teams are just like having to stare down success, having to stare down a playoff berth while every single person in the stadium, whether they're wearing orange or powder blue, is 100% expecting something to go wrong. That's, that's going to be a very tense atmosphere. If, if the nervous were... energy in that stadium would be amazing. It would be incredible. And what would be fuller uh, by percentage capacity, Ben? The stadium at kickoff or Fulton County Jail about three and a half hours after kickoff? <laughs> Almost is 6-0. and for the second time since the 60s. Lane Kiffin has won as head coach 17 of his last 20 games. And yet here I am doing the same shit I feel like a lot of Ole Miss fans do online and are still doing and will continue to do because y'all are my people. Y'all get what we've been through. But now I let Nick and that sus calm you down. I'm better. It's It reminds me of like, like no matter how much success you experience as a fan, you are always going to default to feeling the way you felt when your team was at its worst. Mm -hmm. Like I know plenty of Red Sox fans, plenty of Patriots fans, just Boston sports fans who, despite having an unconscionable 20 year run of success, will still be like Boston sports, man. We always catch the bad breaks. We never win. And I'm like, you've won three world series and six Super Bowls and one NBA finals and one Stanley cup, I believe in the last two decades. You're good. You're fine. <laughs> You're making it. And Alabama fans who are always going to be like, oh, I'll remember how hard last year was. You lost the national championship. That was, that's tough. That's Alabama tough. fans, no one is ever going to feel bad for you. Like, you cannot. 
that's the beauty of sports. If you can let they have bigger bragging rights than the friggin' Patriots did of dominance. Nothing will ever be replicated with this. I actually, I've had a few uh, arguments, friendly debates with my dad about whether what what Belichick has done or what Saban has done is more impressive as a Saban. And I take Saban every time. Every time. Yeah. Because he has to. What's his argument for Belichick? Because it's the pros and it's harder. Yeah, and it's kind of flattened out the, like he's flattened out the generations, man. Like you give Belichick the credit for it's three, four generations of NFL coaches that he's been better than. And that's remarkable. Cause but also the Patriots haven't been the Patriots for years now. D- well, again, they, they won a Super Bowl, what, four years ago, five years ago? But Nick Saban has never gone to the Music City Bowl. Fair. But Nick Saban never has to. That's, again, the advantage of college is you get to decide how much good talent you get. And that's the skill. And that's why I pick Saban is because in addition to being one of the best in-game coaches who's ever lived, he's also the greatest recruiter who's ever lived. But in a world where Belichick never gets a top 25 pick and he still continuously builds competitive teams, you give the man credit for that. Yeah, but he also has to get dinged then for drafting Nikhil Harry at number 25 over A.J. Brown, over D.K. Metcalf. I get that. But Nick Saban, the whole argument for Nick Saban is that Alabama, historically awesome as it is, before Nick Saban, they they still had the same history-ish as Texas, Ohio State, as USC. I mean, all these programs kind of were considered in the same breath. Now, Alabama is head and shoulders above everybody now. But that is because of Nick Saban. Do you think that Alabama would have been Alabama under Dabo? No. No, I mean, but Texas would have been what Alabama is right now had Nick Saban just picked Texas. He just picked Alabama. Yeah, the only person in the last 30 years of college football who's even come close to what Saban did is Urban. And Urban never could sustain it at the same length that Saban has. His highs are as high as anybody else's, including Saban's. But the, the feather in Saban's cap is, I mean, this team is as good, if not better, as it was in 2009 today. And it does it in a completely different way. The evolution of Alabama football from, uh, we, I was looking this up yesterday for the Alabama-Tennessee coming, uh, Alabama-Tennessee game coming up tomorrow. Do you know what the final score of the 2009 Alabama-Tennessee game was when Lane was the head coach at Tennessee? No. It was 12 to 10. Alabama did not score a touchdown. That team won a national championship. Now they have had Heisman Trophy winners at quarterback, running back, and receiver. <laughs> They've had – let's look at the list of offensive coordinators and where they are since Kiffin. Because it was Kiffin, who's obviously the coach at Ole Miss, and Sark, who's the coach at Texas, Mike Loxley, who is the coach – at Maryland, Brian Dayball, who is the head coach of the New York Giants, and now Bill O'Brien, who is the former head coach of the Houston Texans. The firepower that this team plays with now, we take for granted, oh yeah, that's Alabama. Alabama is the school that recruits Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy all at the same time. That's Alabama. No, when Saban first got there, Alabama was the team that was giving up six points a game. Like, the evolution of this program is insane. And, and I'm sure people aren't listening 
to this podcast for us to give compliments to Alabama. But man, that's a well-run program. He stands alone in a tier by himself as far as coaches are concerned. And you might say, well, he failed as an NFL coach. I don't want to hear it from anybody. Had he instead gotten Drew Brees who he wanted instead of Dante Culpepper, he becomes one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. That's just a luck thing. Because like, yeah. like in college, coaches control all aspects of their program. I don't want to hear it about anything. At the end of the day, they have final say. You don't have that in the NFL. There are a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Before we move on, you want to play a really stupid game that I make people play sometimes? Always, yes. Um, if we had the world's least useful time machine and we could use that time machine to take 1983 day before the NFL draft Dan Marino and fast forward him 21 years so that he is in the same draft class in 2004 as Eli and Big Ben and Philip Rivers. And he still gets drafted by the Dolphins. He's still playing there. And then in year two, when in year two of Dan Marino's NFL career, he threw for 5,000 yards and won NFL MVP, he gets Nick Saban as his head coach. Rank the four quarterbacks, Eli Manning, Dan Marino, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, by how much success they would have had. Dan Marino would be one. Probably. I, I would think so, too, if you put Dan Marino in the modern NFL with Nick Saban as his head coach. would. But you're also putting him in the same division as prime Patriots. Dan Marino is the best quarterback to ever play in the NFL. To ever Ooh. play quarterback, period. Dan Marino is the greatest quarterback at any level of all time. That is a... That is a spicy statement that I'm not going to say is wrong. I don't. I think there's probably six correct answers, and Dan Marino could be one of them. He's just not. He was Peyton Manning before Peyton Manning. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit on three. If you don't mind, you can say whatever you want. Please leave a five-star review in iTunes. Just simply search Talk of Champions, and you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just simply search Talk of Champions in Spotify or Amazon Music, you name it, SoundCloud, we're there. Just simply search for us. Talk of Champions is brought to you in part by MyBookie. Your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position. And it's about time you did too with MyBookie. MyBookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. Bet on the NFL, MLB playoffs, or play for a share of big cash prizes in the weekly blackjack tournaments. If you've been waiting for the right time to get in on the action, that time is now. Make your winning move today. Sign up at MyBookie using promo code TOC for Talk of Champions. That's TOC. And claim your deposit match of any amount up to $1,000. Again, that's promo code TOC for Talk of Champions. TOC to claim your bonus and experience sports in a whole new light and make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. The Ole Miss Spirit and Talk of Champions are coming up on the one-year anniversary of our move to On3. We couldn't be happier. Winning has certainly helped. Football continues to roll. Baseball is fresh off the first-ever national championship in program history. Life is good. But change is always hard. And I don't even want to think where we'd be without LinkedIn jobs, which made our initial hiring experience as seamless as possible. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Create in seconds a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs and add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word about your opening. 
They offer simple tools like screening questions to make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses ranked LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Football Rebels have a little over a month remaining in the 2022 season. You want them to finish strong, right? Well, you need to finish strong, too, with LinkedIn Jobs, which helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free today at linkedin.com slash TOC. That's linkedin.com slash TOC to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. That's LinkedIn Jobs, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. In this weird time travel hypothetical, how many Super Bowls does he win? Four. Playing in the AFC at the same time as Prime Peyton and Prime Brady. He was better than them. Peyton is dominant and uh, singularly responsible for his franchise's success, as he was, had Tony Dungy. He had Marvin Harrison. He had uh, Reggie Wayne. I would he had like Edger and James. I would like to point out that Dan Marino's head coach is the winningest coach in the history of Yeah, De- I know. He had Dallas Clark. Uh, yes, the winningest coach of all. That's going to make me look even worse. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. I, you have unwittingly talked into my point of who the greatest quarterback of all time is. I, I will pick Peyton. But I understand the argument for Marino as somebody who my dad is a hardcore, hardcore Dolphins fan. I grew up hearing every story possible about prime Marino and how he was better than everybody else. But... One thing that I really look forward to as we get older is I so much as a child would hear things that I just couldn't argue with of people like, I'd be like, man, this Alex Rodriguez is really good. Mm-hmm. And they'd just be like, well, you didn't see Pete Rose. And it's I'd be the like, Kobe and LeBron and Mike Trout debates over and over and over and over. But my point is, I can't wait to do that. Like, I am so excited. For somebody to be like, oh, Fleet Morp's the best player ever. And I'm like, you didn't see Aaron Rodgers. And they can't fight me. I'm right. They did see Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if that makes Aaron Rodgers better than Fleet Morp. But, man, I can't wait to just be like, well, you didn't see him. So I'm right. Trust me. I saw both of them. So I know what I'm talking about. I will argue to this day, one of the greatest, if not greatest, bucket getter to ever exist, Jamal Crawford. Still getting buckets. I just, like... It, it brings me so much joy imagining like watching a baseball game in 30 years with some kid who's just, like really excited about baseball. And I'll be like, well, you never saw Rick and Keel. Yeah. Hey, I was watching when Rick and Keel hit a ball into the Allegheny for the Braves in the playoffs. And you know what? He was a former pitcher whose career was over and he became a starting center fielder for a division winner. So Rick and Keel's better than meat Morp, sir. Yeah. I didn't wait for my daughter to be like, hey, because I've been frustrated, man. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been frustrated. Eli Manning was better than Archie as a college quarterback. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And he was the most consequential player in Ole Miss history. That is a hot take because if you said that, if I said that to my dad, the Archie heat is coming and it's going to melt my face. How dare you say the son of Archie is better than Archie? And also, it's not even close as far as him being a Hall of Famer in the NFL. So you're asking me to rank that class? Dan Marino, Eli Manning, 
Philip Rivers just went to the Chargers. <laughs> That's this, and it's not the Chargers we know. That's the reason why Philip Rivers didn't win a Super Bowl. Because I have a theory that if you do the inverse and put Philip Rivers in the 1983 draft class, he'd be every bit as good as L.A. and Marino. No, he's not because Marino was more talented. Marino had the best arm of any quarterback to exist. That's not true anymore. Watch Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen, man. Dan Marino's arm was better. Oh, come on. Josh Allen is the closest to Dan Marino's arm that we've ever seen. The difference is, is that Josh Allen um, has better athleticism as a runner in the pocket than Josh Allen. I mean, then Dan Marino, excuse me. Josh Allen is Josh better. Josh Allen is if Dan Marino was Steve McNair. Shit, I love that. <laughs> that is really good. Like, oh. it's incredible, the amount of talent. But you got me thinking here, because uh-huh. now I just want to play this game because you accidentally brought up something that's going to break my head for a while. Who is the most consequential player in Ole Miss history? Not the best, but just like the most important for the trajectory of the program. Of any sport or just football? Football. Eli Manning. I think it might be Kemdichi. No, it's Eli Manning. And I get why you say Kemdichi, because of what it turned into as far as how Ole Miss recruits nationally. Because before Kemdichi and him taking the plunge and Laquan and all those guys, Laramie, before that class, Ole Miss couldn't recruit at that level. Now it's recruiting on that level, and everyone just takes it for granted, which is crazy. But back then with Eli, he was the entire program. There was no thought to Ole Miss recruiting or being on a level as a college football program that it was going to go get the Laramies and like those recruiting classes went to Alabama. They went to Miami. Ole Miss almost got Frank Gore and Roscoe Parrish together. And then they both went to Miami. That, that was like something that was unheard of. You just unthinkable. It would never happen. If Eli doesn't come to Ole Miss, Ole Miss is what the 13th, 12th best program in the sec at best. Because it but continues I, what Ole Miss was. Win six to eight games. Go to the Independence Bowl over and over and over and over again. But I, would, I guess I would make – Get excited about the Motor City Bowl because they were able to shut down Randy Moss for a game in the exhibition. Stuart Patridge, he threw it around. I had a great Christmas. It didn't mean shit. Eli took their level and gave them legitimacy before Ole Miss had legitimacy in the modern era. Like, before Lane Kiffin could elevate Ole Miss to another plane of existence, there was Eli who raised Ole Miss's national and on-field profile single-handedly. Ole Miss had never had a 10 win, hadn't had a 10-win season since the 70s or something crazy before Eli did it in 2003 and took him to the Cotton Bowl. And, yeah, they lost to Memphis and Texas Tech and lost to LSU in the one game that would have sent them, you know, to, the, to Atlanta for the first and only time in program history. That's true. But look what he did by himself. Who were his playmakers? Who was his running back? Starting running back in the Cotton Bowl, Tremaine Turner. His best wide receiver, number one wide receiver, great college wide receiver, Chris Collins. Do you remember these people? No, of course you don't. Mario Hill? You remember Mario Hill? No. Mike Espy? Yeah. No, Ben, I wasn't watching college football back then. But what I'm saying is think about who he elevated. They didn't have their second and third stringers going to the pros and sticking like Ashley Palmer goes and becomes a stud for six years with the Lions. They didn't have Brandon Bolden's. Eli would have killed for him. Before anybody gave Ole Miss legitimacy after probation, after Brewer, it was Eli. And if he didn't do it, Ole Miss falls into depths I don't think it ever recovers from. The most consequential player in Ole Miss football history is Eli Manning. I guess my question is, did anything change after Eli? Like, during Eli. No, then they went and lost to Wyoming in 2004. 
but so so that's my point is was it consequential or was it impressive like he's the most impressive Ole Miss player ever I'll give him that without hesitation but like did what did Eli coming to Ole Miss change the trajectory of the future of the program not in the short term yes because it showed that Ole Miss could do it in it the modern that era. Could get the son of its most famous player. No, it showed that they could win at a level they hadn't won before if they got the talent. And Eli was the talent. They had not gotten comparable talent, consequential talent of Eli's stature, reputation, on field dominance ever before on a consistent level. And they showed if you get the players, it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy's and Joe's. Get good players, dead gummit. And if you do, you'll win. Which brings me back to that recruiting class. <laughs> Shit. Which brings well, they, me back. they wouldn't have ever been able to do that or have the belief or put the people in place that believed you could do it at Ole Miss if not for Eli first. But why did it happen 10 years later instead of three years later is my point. Because like, David Cutcliffe couldn't up. take an NFL player in Michael Spurlock and uh, modernize his offense. He needed a statue at quarterback, so he started Ethan Flat. That's why – my point you have is, to marriage all of it together, Nicholas. Do you really think Laquan Treadwell committed to Ole Miss because he was watching Eli in 2003? But would he have ever considered Ole Miss had they not won at a level or gotten to a place where they were actually a legitimate option? Ole Miss was given legitimacy on the field by actually winning a little bit, but the first person that actually won at that level was Eli. Ten wins. Houston Nutt can go back-to-back cotton bowls all he wants, but it was Eli first. Hugh Freeze could say, hey, yeah, well, we took him to the Sugar Bowl, and uh, I got Laquan Treadwell. It was Eli first. Is the funny answer to this question, Elijah? Yes. That's a close second. <laughs> it's a close second. Because if, uh, if he doesn't follow the lead of his former Ole Miss teammate and brother, D.K. Metcalf, and hike his leg and start well and fake like he's pissing like a dog, a lot doesn't happen everywhere. I could cover sports for the next 50 years, and I don't know if I will ever see a more consequential event than Elijah Moore pretending to dog pee. Just like the domino effect that came afterwards to that, like, to that do you timeline. Know the Giants made a push to hire if it weren't for Joe Judge. Who? Matt Rule. That's right. Huh. And they don't get Brian Dabal. Brian Dabal's awesome. He is. I have a theory that sometimes teams make a head coaching change before they've bottomed out and they hire too good of a coach and it ends up hurting them in the long run because the team didn't bottom out. So they didn't get the draft picks they needed to properly rebuild. And they hire a good coach who's going to go like eight and eight, nine and seven year one, and they're never going to get to properly rebuild. And so you're going to have diminishing returns with a less than talented roster, but a really good coach. And the giants are that times a thousand right now. Like, Dude's four and one with Dan Jones. Oh, uh, you know who beat them? Tell me, man. Who beat them? My Dallas Cowboys. They are four and one. You want me to do a, a good old fashioned rant about something dumb? Yes. That's the perfect way to end this because I've been ranting about stuff that is dumb for a long time now. So I have a theory <laughs> that um, you will not be a successful NFL quarterback mm -hmm. if your name can be shortened to a common nickname, but you choose not to shorten it. 
So like, it wasn't Joseph Montana. It wasn't Thomas Brady. It wasn't Daniel Marino. And, and Daniel Jones, not going by Dan, is going to hold him back. It wasn't Elisha Manic. It, it wasn't Archibald Manic. Uh, almost every great quarterback who has a name that can be shortened, shortened it. And choosing to go by Mitchell Trubisky instead of Mitch held him back. If Patrick Mahomes went by Pat, do you know how good he'd be? I'm going to be honest with you. I thought this was going to be stupid, and I went searching as you were talking. Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Brett Favre, oh, Brett, Bart Starr, Jim Kelly, Kurt Warner, Peyton Manning is a little – I mean, that's that's close. He's the best all-time because he has to be. But – uh well, actually, Tom Brady, because he's got the hardware, but that's another argument for another day, another debate for another day. But that's like Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers. These yeah. names don't have natural things you can shorten them to. That's right. But Andrew Brees, I'm sure that he didn't go by Andrew one day in his life. Oh, uh, here's one. Here's one. And this is why he's suddenly bottoming out. Russell Wilson. Yeah, but Russ. he's always gone by Russ, hasn't he? Not public. Yeah, if you saw him, hey, Russ, how you doing? But his name is Russell Wilson. yeah, yeah. He is referred to as Russell Wilson, Joe Namath, Philip uh, Philip Rivers, the reason he didn't win a Super Bowl. He should have been Phil. Yeah, but Benjamin Roethlisberger doesn't win a Super Bowl. Ben wins too. Dakota Prescott? How bad would Dakota Prescott? Oh, 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 he wouldn't be in the league. Begging to be on a practice squad. Uh Uh-oh, here's one for you. Matthew Stafford. I came up with this theory two years ago, and then Matthew Stafford won a Super Bowl. But – Patrick Mahomes is the thing that invalidates it because he goes by Patrick instead of Pat. Oh, oh, one more. Johnny Unitas. That's still a nickname. He doesn't go by John Unitas. Jonathan Unitas. Yeah, but you're saying you have to be able to shorten it. Yeah, Johnny is shorter than Jonathan. You're right. Sammy Baugh didn't go by Samuel. I don't know what Otto is short for, but I'm sure Otto is short for something in Otto. Ottoman. <laughs> is, his, is his name Ottoman Graham? That'd be awesome. You know how you know how uncool Joseph Namath would have been? Broadway Joseph. That doesn't work. All right. Saturday, 11 a.m. Central Time on ESPN. Ole Miss and Auburn. Ole Miss is number nine. Auburn sucks. Brian Harson could be fired on Sunday. What's the score? A 38 to 20. All right, so almost covers. Okay. Works for me. He's Nick Suss of the Clarion Ledger at Nick Suss on Twitter. Yeah, I'll just leave you guys with this. If, if you want your son to be a superstar NFL quarterback, give him a nickname. And also let him watch tape of Dan Marino, the greatest quarterback of all time. I write for the Open Spirit, OpenSpirit.com and affiliate of on three. He's Nick Suss at Nick Suss, Clarion Ledger. Thank you, my friend. Let's do it again. We will.